Luke chapter number 9 is where we'll be today. And we've been in our series Refocus for a while. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Luke. We've been in Mark. We've been in, uh, been in Matthew. We haven't been in Luke very much. But our goal through this series is to uh, take the gospel accounts and hopefully be able to see uh, Jesus more clearly, be able to look at the things that he taught, the way that he interacted with people, and see who see a little bit more clearly who Jesus is. I think a lot of times we have the wrong perception, the wrong idea, and uh, so that has been our goal. Hopefully, uh, maybe you've learned something. Maybe this has uh, helped you throughout this series. We've been in it for a little while. But uh, last week, what we were looking at, we were uh, challenged not to settle for halfway. And uh, we saw that the, uh, the blind man that Jesus healed, it was the only, uh, only miracle recorded in Scripture where Jesus did it in steps. That Jesus uh, touched his eyes and he said, I see men as trees walking. And then Jesus touched him again and he saw every man plainly, every man clearly. And so Jesus chose to do this in steps. And I said, I believe that Jesus was doing this to teach us a lesson that, uh, that halfway is not good enough. That even though the man was much improved, even though things were better, uh, he wasn't satisfied with only uh, a little bit of seeing, but until Christ filled him completely. And so anyway, as we uh, looked at this, we found that this, uh, this account was in the middle of um, several passages where the disciples continued falling into this position, this place, of halfway, okay? They were uh, going through different things, and they were only, uh, as I said, they were only kind of going halfway. And so we broke that down last week, and we saw that we need to not be satisfied in a halfway belief, uh, that it's not just to believe uh, to believe in Jesus, to believe that he existed, to believe that uh, he was a historical figure, even that he was the Son of God, but that you have to believe on him as your Savior. So don't settle for a halfway belief of knowing Jesus existed without knowing Him as your Savior. Don't settle for a halfway healing of uh, having your sins forgiven, having uh, the penalty of sin covered without uh, without sanctification, without uh, God dealing with the power of sin in your life. See, God doesn't just want to deliver us from sin's penalty. He wants to deliver us from sin's power. Don't settle for halfway. We saw also don't settle for halfway faith uh, and trusting God for the destination, but not trusting him for the journey. And I believe we all fall into this at times that we know we're saved, we're secured, heaven's our home when we die, but we're not so sure if we can trust God with next week or next year or even tomorrow, right? And so don't settle for just a halfway faith. Trust him now and trust him for eternity. And don't settle for a halfway life. Uh, he challenged us uh, in um, the passage just before where we read it last week uh, that those who would gain, or excuse me, those who would save their life would lose it, but those who would lose their life for Christ's sake, the same would find it. Remember that passage? And so he was telling them that whenever we live for the things that are temporal, the things that are of this life, that whenever we close our eyes in death, they pass away. 
They are going to be gone. They're not going to, to last us. But if we live for the things of Jesus, if we live for the things of God, if we live our lives to please him, then those things will abide forever. Then we're going to find purpose. Then we're going to find true wealth if we are living for Christ rather than living for this world. And so today what we're going to see, excuse me, what we're going to see is Jesus' inner circle, his uh I guess in a way, especially the disciples would have seen it this way, that Jesus was picking favorites, right? And so he had the three closest ones to him, Peter, James, and John, and he's going to take them up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they are going to get a, a special experience there. And so let's read in Luke chapter number 9, and we're going to start in verse number 27. Uh, before I start reading, uh, the the first verse there, 27, starts with, but Jesus has just been uh, telling his disciples that he is getting ready to be offered up, that he is going to be killed, he's going to be crucified, and that a lot of things are going to be changing, okay? And so in verse number 27, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about an about an eight days after these things, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were, were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man those uh, in those days any of those things which they had seen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage, for this glimpse that we see into, uh, into your kingdom, into eternity. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the example of the apostles here and the lessons that we can learn from them. I just pray that your spirit would be here with us, that it would, uh, that he would uh, show us, open up the scriptures and instruct us from them, Lord. I just pray that you would uh, bring back to mind the things that we've studied. I just pray that you would guide my thoughts and my speech, that the things that I say would be uh, true and accurate and helpful, Lord. And be with each person here and minister their needs, minister to their hearts, and do exactly that which is needed. Be with those who aren't able to be with us due to, to work or sickness or travel or whatever. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for all you're going to do. And we just pray once again, Lord, that you be with us and Lord, that you work through us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and amen. So as we look at this passage here, this is... <clears throat> This is an amazing passage to me. This is interesting to me. We talked about in Sunday school a little bit. I was challenging you to imagine, right? To use your imagination. And, and like I said, I have a fairly active and vivid imagination. And, and some of you said, well, not so much, right? And so as we look at this passage, it is a bit hard to imagine, okay? But it is something that is interesting for us to imagine. And so 
this would have been something that would have been tremendous. This would have been great. This would have been fascinating for the disciples, these three men, Peter, James, and John, to be separated from the cares and the struggles of the world below them, to go up this mountain alone with Jesus and to get this special experience with him. And so they got up there, and as Jesus began to pray, his countenance was changed. Uh, he began to, in a way, as the if you look at the parallel passages, it seems like there was light that was being emitted from him. And we find that in the uh, in different um, prophecies telling about the future that uh, whenever we get to heaven, that there's going to be no need for a sun because the Lord is going to be the light of it. That the that the, the S O N will be the S O N or S U N when we get there. <laughs> Sorry, spelling is not my my strong suit here. But anyway, and so the, he began emitting light, and he was uh, shining here. Even whenever you look back and see, whenever Moses went up on the mount, and whenever he was in the presence of God, that he came off, and it says that he didn't know that his face shone, that the glory had rubbed off on him. And so Jesus was being transfigured, transformed before their eyes into his uh, glorified form, into the form which he's going to have whenever we get into heaven. That passage, or that first verse in 27, whenever he says, uh, some of you will not pass until you see the, the kingdom come, uh, this is what he was referring to. They got a glimpse into the heavenlies. They got a, a glimpse into what eternity is going to be like, and they got to see Jesus in his glorified form here. And so Jesus is standing before them, and he is in his white robes, and he's got this light emitting from him. And if that wasn't enough, then Moses and Elijah come along beside. And you have them there as well in their glorified bodies. Something interesting here, we talk about, well, will we know each other when we get to heaven. Even Peter, James, and John knew who Moses and Elijah was, even though they had been long since left the earth, right? I don't think that anyone had to tell them. they like, I know who those guys are. They knew them, even in their glorified form. But anyway, uh, Moses and Elijah came. They were discussing with Jesus about his death, burial, and resurrection. They were discussing with him the events that were getting ready to unfold. And Jesus chose these three apostles to be a witness of this event. Whenever we look here at Elijah, I believe that Elijah, well, we'll look at Moses first. I believe Moses represented the law. You look at Moses and the prophets, as often refers to in our Old Testament, right? Moses was the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. And so that was the Old Testament, all the things that was pointing to Christ. Then you had Jesus there. You had the whole revelation of truth standing before them, okay? This picture of heaven. In addition to that, Moses had passed away. He had died and was buried. And this is his glorified, his resurrected form. What happened to Elijah? He was taken up without dying. And so Moses is representing those who were resurrected. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And Elijah representing those who would be raptured out. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with him. And so you had all of these pictures that was before them, all of this body of truth that was before them, all of these exciting uh, sights that they could have partaken. And in addition to that, if they would have listened, it's a big if, isn't it? If they would have listened, they would have got to know what was getting ready to happen before it happened. You remember how Peter and the disciples respond whenever Jesus is crucified? Well, when he's arrested, he's crucified, he's buried. Remember how they respond? It says in this passage, 
that they were talking about this right before them. Verse number 31, who appeared in glory and spoke or spake of his decease, which should it, he should accomplish in Jerusalem. They are talking about it ahead of time, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. He's already revealed this to the disciples, and Peter rebuked him, right? Now he's talking to Moses and Elijah about it in his glorified form, and the disciples are asleep. They missed out, didn't they? See, all of these great things were going on before them. This great event was happening, but this wasn't one of their uh, brightest moments. This wasn't one of their uh, prime events, I guess we could say. And we would often criticize or critique the disciples, but I guarantee you we're all very much like them. And that's one reason I appreciate the disciples is because they were human, and I can see myself in them and their mistakes and their flaws. I'm grateful for them because they mess up, and so do we. Yeah. But one great thing about the disciples is they learn from their mistakes, and hopefully we do as well. Yeah. I've told my girls oftentimes that, a, and this isn't a, a quote that's unique to me, but a smart person learns from their mistakes. A truly wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully as we're going through and reading this, as we're going through and seeing their examples, as we're seeing their mistakes, hopefully we can learn from them and not repeat them, right? And so let's walk through this passage and see what's going on with the disciples up on this mountain and how we can learn from it, what we can take away from this passage that, uh, as I said, wasn't their brightest or their most shining moment. The first thing that I see in this passage that stands out to me is the invitation that was extended to them. This was a huge opportunity. It was a phenomenal opportunity for these men to go up to the top of the mountain, to be invited to be in Jesus' presence, to be close to him, to get insight into the spiritual and into the eternal and into what Jesus was getting ready to do. This was a huge opportunity, and it was only the three of them chosen to do so. Their perspective should have been changed. It should have been lifted higher as they were looking constantly at the things that was going on around them, the things on this earth, and Jesus is giving them a glimpse into the heavenly, to the eternal, to the spiritual. And so they should have had an increased understanding of the coming events. They should have had a different perspective on the things that was going on around them, and it would have encouraged them. It would have eased their minds as Jesus was being arrested, as he was being led away to be crucified, as he was dying, as he was promising, I go away to prepare a place for you, they would have had insight into that place. And as we look at this mountaintop experience, we think, wouldn't that be great to be able to have that kind of invitation, to be invited into that kind of a closeness, that kind of relationship, that kind of a uh, uh, an event, if you will, I keep calling it that. It would be great to have such an invitation, but I believe that we have a better invitation than what they did. If you'll turn over to Matthew chapter number number 11. Matthew chapter 11, or read just a few verses here. Verse number 28. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And we probably can, many of us can quote that verse, or at least we're familiar with that verse, but it is a verse of invitation. Jesus is telling us, I want you to respond to this invitation. I want you to come to me, and you're going to receive something. This picture that he gives in verse 29, whenever he says, take my yoke upon you, this yoke that he's speaking of is a training yoke for oxen, okay? Whenever they had, uh, long before tractors, in a very much agricultural gregarian community, they would have um, they would have been familiar with this picture. And so, whenever you had a new ox, whenever you had a uh, an animal that was unbroken, untrained, the best way to train that animal was to yoke it up to an animal that knew what it was doing, one that was experienced, one that knew how to pull the plow, that knew how to make a straight row, one that knew the commands, knew how to listen to the master, for them to be drawn up alongside of them, to be harnessed with them, and to be shown the ropes. And so this is the picture that Jesus is bringing to us. He says, take my yoke upon you. That yoke is that we're coming in along beside of him as one who knows what he's doing, as one that knows the way he's going, as one that can listen to the Father's commands and plow a straight row. He's saying, come alongside of me, yoke up with me, and I'm going to teach you, I'm going to train you, I'm going to show you how to live this life that I've given you. This is an invitation that he has given. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. An interesting thing about that training yoke is that whenever those two animals were uh, were together, which one do you think was bearing the most of the burden? Which one do you think was taking all of the weight? Which one was it that that burden was on? It was on the advanced one. It was on the one that knew what it was doing. And the other one that was being trained was just kind of being pulled along with it. It was just getting to enjoy the process and the progress without actually having to put its shoulders to the, to the harness near as hard as the one that was harnessed to them. Okay, And this is the invitation that Jesus is giving us. He's saying, come up alongside of me and learn of me. Allow me to teach you. Allow me to train you. Allow me to show you the way that you ought to go. Allow me to help you through the bumps. Allow me to help you to know how to navigate this thing, how to hear the Father's voice, how to respond to it. Come along beside of me and learn. He goes on to say in this passage, he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. You ever learn from someone that is not good to learn from? Yes. You ever have a teacher that was impatient? I know my girls have. <laughs> Every time we go to teach math, someone ends up crying and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus says, come and yoke up with me. Come alongside of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. In other words, he says, I'm not going to bash you. I'm not going to abuse you. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to be harsh and cruel and heavy handed with you. I want you to come alongside me and walk along the trail with me, uh, plow along the row with me, and you're going to learn. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to find out how to live this life if you will come alongside of me. Guess what the disciples were doing there? They had an invitation to come alongside him and experience all of these things, right? And he says, you shall find rest for your soul. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is his yoke easy? Why is his burden light? If you are yoked up to him, he's carrying most of the weight. It doesn't mean the entire road is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that plowing is not a difficult and laborious job. It's meaning if you're yoked up to him, he is taking most of the weight onto him. 
right? I think all of us that have kids or have ever uh, spent any time with kids, we've had this experience where I know this week, I can't remember what was going on. Uh, it was when we were up north. Uh, we had the pram and was pushing it along. And Melody didn't want to be in the pram, but she wanted to push the pram. So Les was holding Melody like this and Melody was holding the pram. And she was all excited because Les was carrying Melody. Melody was pushing the pram and Les was doing all of the work and Melody just had to hold the handles. <laughs> Okay, this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. He says, come alongside of me. Let me pick you up and hold you. You take all the handles. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to put that forward momentum. I'm going to be pushing along and you're going to feel like you're actually accomplishing something. <laughs> Whenever I'm the one doing all the work, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is an invitation that we have. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, we have another invitation. He says, Abide, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. And he says, that's the way that we produce fruit. Without him, we can do nothing. He says, I want you to abide. Stay along beside me. Be connected. Be attached to me. And in that illustration, uh, if you see a branch that is not connected to the vine, it withers, it dies, it will never produce fruit. It is as a result of the nutrients, of the strength, of all the things that come from that vine that the branch is able to produce anything. He says, stay attached to me and I'll be pumping that nutrients to you. I will be giving you the ability to produce fruit, but you have to stay attached to me. So he says, come unto me, abide in me. In verse in First Peter chapter five verse seventeen, First Peter five verse seven says, "Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you." We have all of these invitations to uh, to come unto Him, to abide in Him, to rest in Him, to cast our cares upon Him, to allow Him to help bear our load, to show us the way, to guide us through this life all the way. To glory, we have an invitation, and that is greater than seeing Jesus glowing on a mountain. Yeah. We have an invitation. But while all these things was going on for Peter and James and John, what were Peter, James, and John doing? They were sleeping. They were sleeping. They were indifferent to this invitation that was given them. They were squandering it. This access, this invitation, this insight that they were able to partake of, they were asleep through it. They were indifferent. They didn't seem to care. They probably had excuses. You ever walk to the top of a mountain? They were tired. They've been following Jesus for a while, ministering, and they didn't get a whole lot of opportunity for rest. They were tired. Jesus, give me a break. I was asleep, right? And so I don't know what all their excuses were. I don't know if it was the pace of life, if it was the climb up the mountain or whatnot. But what I do know is that often we, myself included, we have this great invitation and we tend to be indifferent toward it. We ignore it. We don't really care. All throughout Scripture, we see it. It's, it's part of the human experience, I guess. We see that the Israelites... Literally in the presence of God, he's leading them with a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They heard his voice from the mountain. They seen all the miracles in Egypt. And what was Israel's response to all of these great things as, as God basically invited them to come along and just watch him take care of them? 
They constantly murmured. They constantly complained. They constantly doubted. They constantly disobeyed. They said, yes, there is food coming from heaven every day giving us sustenance, giving us everything that we need, but we don't like that food. We want other food. That was their response to it. They said, we don't care what God has provided for us. We don't care what God's going to do. He said that he's going to conquer this land, but we don't see it happening. We don't. And they, they murmured, they complained, they turned away. They were indifferent to the promises and the provision that God had already made. We continue through it. We see that Paul wrote most of his epistles just to encourage the believers to continue. That is Paul's repeated plea to the believers and not just Paul's we find it with James we find it with Peter also we find it in John's writings that he is trying they are all trying to encourage the believers that after they began following Jesus that they will continue following Jesus and not get distracted not to get sidetracked not to set their roots too deep in this world but continue looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of their faith he was encouraging them to continue because we have this tendency to grow indifferent. In Galatians chapter 1 and 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, you just believed and you're already starting to go astray. You're already starting to abandon the invitation, grow indifferent to it and leave it. He says to Demas, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas was ministering with Paul. He was going about and, and preaching and teaching and doing all these different things. And finally, Demas just says, eh, I think I want to go back to fishing like Peter. I've had enough of this. I think I'm just going to go and see if I can uh, increase my comfort, increase my, uh, my prosperity here in this world. I'm not so concerned about God and the things of God and the things of eternity. I, it says that he, having loved this present world, God had great plans and great things that were available to Demas. And he says, eh, I don't care. In the book of Revelation, we find the seven churches. One of them, it says that they left their first love. They were introduced to Christ. They knew who he was. They knew what he had done. And then they're like, eh, don't care. Then later on, you got Laodicea. That was lukewarm. They were comfortable in the world which they lived in. They were comfortable with the prosperity and the peace that they had that they were no longer pursuing after the Savior. And they were just like, yeah, we'll just sit here. We'll just wait. We'll just uh, allow life to go by us, right? They were indifferent. And I'm not trying to be hard on us. I'm trying to, to bring this truth out to us. I'm trying to wake us up a little bit because like the disciples, we tend to be asleep. We tend to be indifferent to this invitation that we have. And we struggle with our Christian life because we are not actually paying attention. We're not coming alongside Christ. We're not learning from Him. We're not learning of Him. We're trying to do Christianity. We're trying to do life. We're trying to make it of our own accord rather than what, what God's eventually going to tell the disciples rather than hearing Him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We have an invitation to walk with Christ, to get to know Him, to have Him work through us and in us, but too often we're indifferent. And I believe Christianity today has become very lukewarm, very indifferent toward the things of God. Whenever they did finally wake up, what was Peter's response? They had an invitation. 
They were indifferent toward it. And Peter wakes up and he looks and he sees Jesus glorified and shining. He sees Moses and Elijah there and he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes. He's like, oh, it's good for us to be here. Let's build tabernacles. Did you catch what it says down here at this in this passage though? I, I know I've, I've turned over here away from my passage. Luke chapter number 9. Whenever Peter wakes up, verse number uh, verse number thirty three at the end of the verse, it says, "Not knowing what he said." In other words, he spoke without thinking, and the thing that he said was stupid; it was ignorant. And so here's what ends up happening for us as Christians: we have an invitation. God wants to do great things in us and through us. We tend to not care, and whenever we do care, we go about doing things in an ignorant way. We're ignorant of God's truth. We're ignorant of the things that He has for us, of what He expects out of us, and we go about to establish our own righteousness, as the Bible says. We go about to do things the way that makes sense to us. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so Peter wakes up, he's rubbing his eyes, and he's saying, it's good for us to be here. Let's build a tabernacle for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah. To put a little bit of context on this, this was near the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this was a feast that was regularly celebrated to remind the Jews of how God protected them and provided for them in their wilderness journeys. How they spent time in tents in the wilderness and how God was with them in the wilderness. And so that one week out of the year, they would leave their house and they would go camping. So what it was, they would build a tabernacle, they would dwell in the tabernacle, remembering what God brought them from. So if you ever want an appreciation for your house and for the blessings of God, try sleeping in a tent. The girls did that the other night, they made it till 3 o'clock. They came in and they said, bed's too close for me to stay here. Okay? And so this is what the Jews would do. They would build these booths, these tabernacles to remember. But like all the rest of the feasts and things that God had given the people of Israel, they also were looking forward to Jesus as well whenever God would come down and tabernacle with man. Whenever God would lay aside his glory and take on the form of a man, that he would be clothed in flesh and he would dwell amongst us. And they had Jesus in their very presence. God was tabernacling with them. And Paul rubs his eyes and says, we ought to build a tent. We ought to build a tabernacle. I said Paul, I meant Peter. Anyone catch that? Yes. Okay. So Peter was speaking in ignorance, and he was trying to sound spiritual. Right? He didn't know what to say, and he's like, uh, what do I say? He could have listened. They had a conversation going on. He interrupts the conversation of Jesus and Moses and Elijah and their glorified bodies to say something goofy. And he missed the entire point. And instead of listening, instead of learning, he wanted to do something. Isn't that our attitude as Christians? Isn't that our attitude as believers? We must do. Our focus becomes on doing. And we want to be busy. We want to impress people. We want to impress God. We think that our works, our religious activities, our ceremonies, all these things that we do somehow is going to be impressive to God or at least impressive to man. It makes us feel like we're doing something. It makes us feel like we have a part. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing something when in reality what God is desiring for us, he wants us to have a relationship with him. 
He wants us to get to know him. He wants us to trust him, to love him, to follow him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the first thing. We want to be doing it. He says, okay, if you want to do something, keep my commandments. But I want to build a tabernacle. No, keep my commandments. But I want to, to, to perform this work and to do this ministry and have this ceremony and do all these different things. I want to have this outreach. I want to have this program. I want to do everything. And God says, keep my commandments. Get to know me. Take my yoke upon you. Concentrate on figuring out who I am. Allow me to God. Allow me to be in charge. In other words, shut up and listen for a while. Can I say that? We want to do things. And we mess it all up. We ignore him. We try to be religious. We try to do things to make us feel good, to try to make us impress people. And in Isaiah chapter number 29, verse 13, God says, this people draws, draws near me with their mouth and with their lips do they honor me, but their heart is far from me. Oh, they're saying great things. They're doing great things, but they don't really care about me. Right? Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They're doing all of these things in my name, but they don't even know me. And so God has given us an invitation. He has went out of his way to give us his word. To those who are saved, he has given his Holy Spirit. And yet we get wrapped up in the unimportant things and we neglect what is truly important. We are so busy performing for Jesus, we're never sitting at his feet. We're so busy going about and trying to seem religious that we never establish a relationship with God. We are too busy trying to do that we fail to worship the one that has already done it all. And he has invited us to come and learn of him and to rest in him and let him make us and transform us and guide us. He tells his disciples, and this is something that has stuck with me, I've brought out many times. He tells his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what was the disciples' part? Follow him. What was Jesus' part? I'm going to make you to become what I want you to be. Yeah. We focus on following and he will transform us. Right? And so we remain ignorant of God. We are, uh, remain ignorant of his way, of his word, of his will. And whenever we wake up once in a while, we attempt to do something that seems to be religious, seems to be pious, when in reality we should learn to just lean on him, to learn of him, and let him work in us. So we have this idea of Peter. Let us make tabernacles, right? But the last thing that we find in this passage, as we're walking through, there was an invitation there was an indifference, there was an ignorance. But the last thing we find is there was an instruction. Because what happens, Peter has said something that is so disrespectful to Jesus that God can't remain silent. Did you catch that in the, in the passage? What Peter was doing, he made Jesus on equal footing with Moses and Elijah. As if Jesus is just another prophet. As if Jesus is just another teacher, just another man. And he says, let's put them on equal footing. Let's put them all together. And God is going to exalt his son. And it says that there is a cloud that comes in and kind of engulfs them. And they are in the middle of a cloud. Okay. 
And so visibility is going, something supernatural is taking place, and out of the cloud that they are in the midst of, there is a voice of God, and I, I can't help but imagine that the voice of God is going to be a booming and deep voice. Yeah. You, know, you got uh, uh, Morgan Freeman or something. <laughs> and there's this booming and deep voice, and he says, <clears throat> excuse me, he says in this passage here, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Now that would get your attention, wouldn't it? So Peter's there. He's indifferent to it. He's ignorant. He's just kind of stumbling through, not taking this seriously. God has given him this grand opportunity that he could have learned. He could have soaked up the glory of God. We don't find that whenever they came down from the mountain that their face shone like Moses's. They miss this opportunity, and God basically comes down to him in the middle of him saying this disrespectful thing about Jesus, and he just says, be quiet and listen. Mm -hmm. Quit trying to do it all. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to make it about you, and listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. This is his instruction. In the day that we live, we have so many different voices. There's so much noise that is coming into our head, taking up way too much space, and it is hard to concentrate on anything. We have so many different voices that are uh, trying to uh, compete for our time and for our attention, and in the middle of all that, the voice of God gets lost. Yes. In the middle of that, it's easy to overlook it, to not listen to it, and it becomes drowned out. And God is wanting us to learn. He's wanting us to listen. He's wanting us to follow. And yet, usually it's that voice that's drowned out. Whenever, um, I believe it was Elijah was on the top of the mountain. Remember the wind came and the earthquake and all the different things that happened. And then came the still small voice. A lot of times we are wanting the the fantastic. We are wanting the supernatural, the things that are just incredible to take in like a glowing mountaintop or a booming voice out of a cloud, right? But generally, God is not shaking our world. He's not turning things upside down. He is competing with all of these different voices, just wanting us to hear Him, wanting us to come unto Him, wanting us to take His yoke upon us, wanting us to seek Him, to abide in Him, to walk in Him, to listen to Him, and He gets pushed to the side. And His instruction is to hear Him. And that takes us intentionally, takes us desiring, takes us seeking, takes us wanting to hear Him. And so He invites us to come, to see, to listen, to learn, to rest. But we're busy, we're distracted, or we're not interested. We may be even doing a lot of things that we think are for God. Maybe things that are good. Maybe we think they're impressing Jesus. But he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Take my yoke upon you. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 2, it says, looking unto Jesus. That's our focus. That's our attention. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Whenever it says author and finisher, that means he starts it and he completes it. It's all about him. He's the one that's writing the story, and we need to get close to him. We need to follow him. We need to get our eyes and our attention on him so that he can lead us the route that he wants to take us. 
This is my beloved son, hear him. So we have an invitation to something incredible, but we often miss out. We need to wake up. We need to listen because Jesus is really what we need, not all these other things. So I want to wrap up by saying this. I believe most everyone in here would say that they believe this book. They believe the Word of God. They believe in Jesus. They believe that God created all things, that God is good, that He is the creator and sustainer of life, that there is a, a heaven above, there is a hell below. I believe most everyone in here would say that we are eternal beings and that they know that this life is but a vapor. There are lots of things that we would say that we believe, right? And all of those things that we say that we believe should impact our life, shouldn't they? We should see those playing out in our lives. If we really do believe them, then why isn't it affecting us? See, here's the thing. If we were looking out, why do I go to church? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I pray? Why am I listening for Him? Why am I coming unto Him? Why am I taking my yoke or taking His yoke up? Why do we do the Christian life? Because we believe that He is God, that He is good, that eternity is before us. Because we believe these things are true. Because there is more to this life than what meets the eye. We're not here just to get rich and have fun and to die. That's not why we are here. And if we believe these things, how ought we to live? How can we be indifferent how can we remain ignorant whenever he has put so much effort into giving us knowledge and understanding, letting us know who he is? I don't come to church just because it's what I'm supposed to do. I don't come to church just because I want to salve my conscience and feel better about myself. I'm not doing this in order to be a good person. I'm doing this because I believe God is real. I believe that heaven is real. I believe this is teaching me how to live. I believe his way is right. And how can I be indifferent to that? And so God has given us these instructions. Hear him. Because life isn't about this. We can't just sleep through this. We can't just be indifferent to this. We have an invitation to come to him. We have... In addition to that, we have the instruction to hear Him. And we have so many reassurances that He wants us to know Him, to walk with Him. He wants to guide our steps. He wants to build our lives. He wants to put things together. And how can we ignore that? Yeah. How can we ignore that? So as we look at Peter and James and John up on top of the mountain, and see them slumped over in their sleep. Can you see yourself there? I see myself there. Such a great invitation. And I'm asleep. He says, learn of me. Get to know me. Hear me. I'm asleep. Then I try to do something. And it's foolishness because it's not according to the knowledge of God. It's not according to His Word. I'm just winging it. Such a great invitation. Don't sleep through it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for these passages we have. I know the, the this 
message is, is a little bit rough and it's rough on me as well, Lord. And I know too often I'm like Peter. I say stupid things. I sleep when I should be paying attention. I know that we're prone to these things, but I thank you for their example. Thank you, Lord, for how, how clear it is we have an invitation. You desire a relationship. You want us to walk with you and hear you and learn of you. And you have such precious promises and things in store for us. Help us not to take those things for granted, but help us, Lord, to truly be hearing you, Lord, that instead of listening to this world and tuning you out, that we tune the world out and listen to you. Lord, I just pray that you do the needed work in the hearts and lives of each person here, be it our time and our fellowship. And Lord, help us as we go out into this world to be a, a light and a witness. Help us to live in light of eternity. Help us to truly live out what we believe. And we thank you so much for all that you do and all you want to do. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen.